Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen-Biggs, this is Dan Morang, and we are here to talk about what is happening with the Portland Trailblazers and around the NBA. Oh my gosh, Dan, it feels so great to have almost actual basketball to talk about. So let's jump in. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say that even the, the, the small tidbits of what we've gotten already, both here locally in Portland and uh, around the league, it, it's it's fair enough to call actual basketball. We're we're, we're past media days. We're we're past the uh, scrimmages and 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 teams are actually playing against each other. Uh, the level of competition um, in those games may may vary, um, but but actual scores are being kept and uh, teams are playing against each other. So I think it's, it's fair to say that actual basketball has taken place. It has happened. All right. From your mouth to God's ears, we are in actual basketball <laughs> season. So, yeah. I mean, we, there sounds like there's already a lot happening. You know, we have the uh, team from the Bay area getting defeated. We have uh, reports that Kawhi the storylines already. I know Kawhi Leonard is going to miss the preseason. There's all kinds of stuff for us to overreact about already. It's pretty exciting. Um, but let's actually let's talk. Let's start with the Blazers and back up a little bit. And like you said, training camp is in the book. So for you, what are some of the storylines that struck you? Um, obviously, I mean, being being a, a Myers Leonard guy, um, I'm, I'm I'm buying it hook, line, and sinker uh, <laughs> time and time again. Um, as far as you know, developing confidence and, and being ready and being that guy and putting in the work in the off season. Uh, physically it's showing mentally it, it appears like the, his attitude his or emotionally however you want to describe it has, has changed a bit um, obviously it needs to translate on the court but that's something I'm obviously looking forward to um, wait hold on from what he said at, at media day and after you know what hearing other people talk about him at training mm-hmm. camp what do you how are you expecting that that will visually show up on the court like what can you watch for his, and go, oh look at that his intensity making mistakes at full speed okay like my biggest complaint with Myers has always been uh, when something does happen and it happens to every player, but <clears throat> instead of just continuing and, and, and going full out, he kind of stops and chastises himself. Like he knows when he makes a mistake, mm-hmm. there's, there, there are plenty of players in the league that don't even realize they've made a mistake or don't care. I, I think the problem is, is that Myers cares so much that it is actually deteriorated or eroded, uh, his confidence. And, and that was evident in, in what he said in his, in his, um, media day comments about his confidence being at a 30 um, when he was going into the workouts. And now he says it's up to about an 80 out of a hundred. So um, just going full speed, being, being an energy guy. That's something we've, I don't think anybody's ever questioned Myers as far as hustle and heart or anything along those lines, but I don't think anybody's ever accused him of being an energy guy. You and mean- I think those are two different things. Like being like, Ed, Ed, let's say like Ed Davis, Ed Davis is always, he's like an energizer bunny. He's always crashing the boards. He's always doing something. And if you're only going to be out there for 14, 16 minutes a night, why not just go ham the entire time? Yeah. I like how you put it um, to what you said, uh, making mis- making mistakes at, at full speed and not not stopping. So, yeah, let's let's uh, hopefully we will see that because you're right. He his he is so chiseled. It's incredible how fit his body is and how ready it is. And just from the little bit we saw at, at FanFest, I mean, man. I don't he's, know. Lost, he's lost weight, but he looks bigger. I don't know what sense. more. His arms have gotten like I've, I've been watching the uh, this, that show Ballers a lot, you know, and how you have the rock with those giant arms. And, you know, <laughs> Myers isn't there yet, but. I feel like he could crush like a car with his shoulders right and now. That's what I mean. Like you, you want to see somebody who's built like that, who's got that kind of strength and, and power to just, if you're going to make a mistake, make it full bore, make yeah. somebody pay for it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, if you're going to foul somebody, foul them. 
Like, I mean, you're, you're seven foot one, 270 pounds, lay, lay some wood on somebody. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. It's just like, I, I get more frustrated when I see a guard at six foot, you know, 200 pounds really rest. I mean, CJ, CJ's six, three, probably what? two ten. And I've seen CJ lay harder fouls consistently than almost anybody on this Blazers team with excluding Nurkic. Um, Meyer should be a guy that when you're going into the paint, you should not want to get fouled by. So if you're, if you're, so if you're going to be out of position or if you're going to recover late or you're going to bail somebody out with a hard foul at the rim, make sure that's not an and one. Like, I mean, things like that, I think, I think will, will pay off huge for him both uh, mentally and as far as like playing time and, and, and the chemistry within the team, because I don't think anybody wants Myers to succeed more than his teammates. Like you can hear the way they talk about him and how they how they they root for him and they talk about what what he's going through. But now I think that tone has changed a little bit. From yeah, he has all this talent. He does all these things in practice. The sentiment is is kind of turned a little bit more to the the older brother. Like yeah, he has to show it now. Yeah, like well, you, you what, can hear that undertone, right? Right, for sure. And I think yeah, the fans are the same way. There's a lot of fans who I've you know heard or seen say like okay, I'm going to give it one more shot. You know, people who are at the end of the season saying, no, I can't do it anymore, who are going, okay, we're going to give this one more try. But So besides Myers, though, any other uh, storylines jump out at you? Swanigan. Uh, people called me crazy when I said Swanigan had a, a legit chance as anybody to start at the power forward position, and the talk coming out of camp is how well Swanigan has played. Lo and behold. Uh, but yeah, but Ed wants Ed's gunning for the uh, Hey, that's great. Starting to- I, I, I want everybody to want to start. Like I want that competition. I want guys clawing and fighting. I, I think that, that kind of competition draws out the best in people, particularly in a um, we're a group of people where there's 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 so much ego, <laughs> there's so much you know persona. These guys don't get where they are in their career fields by sitting back. If you're a 15 year vet and you know you're just going to be on the end of the bench, that's one thing. But if you're, you know, a, a tenured player, but you're still, you know, peak or near peak or approaching your peak, um, you should want that. You should you should have that dog and you should shouldn't let anybody take anything from you. You should be trying to take as much as you can. So if Ed Davis is saying, hey, I want that. Great. If, if Caleb Swanigan saying he wants that. Awesome. I, I, I want these guys fighting for it. Uh, that, that's that's the, I think that's the best thing possible for any team, let alone a, a young team. Did you know that Ed Davis is the king of practice trash talk? Yeah, uh, I've heard a few people say that that Ed definitely chirps on the floor in practice. You know, I don't hear it or see it much during games. Um, I, I'll stand by my my CJ McCollum is is the, the 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 king chirper on the team during games. But uh, during practice, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, multiple players have said in their post practice interviews that Ed Davis doesn't stop. I think if you're, you know, six foot 10 to seven foot tall and 250 plus pounds and you're in the middle of paint, I think it's your job to just talk junk and just talk noise the entire time in practice, like to, to your teammates, both, both the guys on your squad and the guys you're, you're playing against. Um, I have a lot, I have a lot of thoughts about Ed Davis that I'm sure we will cover during the course of the, uh, of the podcast today, but there's one other person whose name I was surprised to hear at the beginning of training camp. Perennial Blazer Steve Blake is back. <laughs> this time as Boomerang a, Steve Blake. This time as an intern. It was funny when I was I was typing out what I wanted to talk about and I was typing out Steve Blake and I literally to- typed out Steve Blazer because my hands just <laughs> automatically did that. <laughs> about right. It's like the autocorrect on my phone. Like there's like four words. Like I'm I'm autocorrects to LMA. Uh-huh. Dame, or same autocorrects to Dame. Um so yeah, I, I can I can understand that as far as far as how that goes. My like I need to go through my phone and like correct my my Blazer autocorrects that have just over time. Um, I mean the the Nurkic is actually spelled out in my phone now with the the ampersand or the whatever whatever that thing is called uh, uh, above the I or above the C. Um, so yeah, I mean like it, it's it's to the point where if I type N U, it already autofills. It's like okay, I maybe discuss this on my phone a little too much. My my favorite auto Blazer related autocorrect that I have is if I type in F O, I start to get prompted to type in former Trailblazer great Anderson Fairjow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I I think I've tweeted that something about former Blazer great Anderson Fairjow so many times <laughs> it's automatically it in up. my phone. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, Blake's, uh, I want to say 
there was a time, it was like 2007, 2008, somewhere in that time period, that um, none of them were coaches yet. And I think they were all still playing. It was uh, Jason Kidd, Steve Blake, Steve Kerr. So whenever Kerr's last year was, or maybe Kerr wasn't playing anymore. Um, no, I don't think Kerr was playing anymore. But they were talked about those were the three guys because they were point guards, because they were heady, because of how they thought about things and how they went about things. They were they were the the biggest candidates to become head coaches in the NBA. Kids a head coach, Kerr's a head coach, Blake's on his way. I think this is this is something that if if Steve Blake wants to be a head coach, he will be a head coach. This is a guy whose whose basketball knowledge is through the roof. I mean, he's a basketball junkie. One of the things that I think is great about having Steve Blake around is one of the things that I've been talking about for a while is having an experienced vet. And even though he's not getting on the court, he has the experience of all those years of all those little things that a guy needs to be sometimes taught or shown. And so, you know, somebody's, you know, pulling on your shorts in a way or got his arms around behind behind the back that the ref can't see. Someone who's had that happen to him over and over and over again can tell you what that guy's trick is and, you know, how to counteract it. So I think it's going to be a really nice to have him around. As I understand, the deal with being an intern is that he's not traveling with the team, that he'll be at the practices uh, and he'll be at the home games, but he won't be on the road with them. So I think yeah, it'll like allow great. him to, to be to get a feel for it, basically, to see if this is something he wants to do. Um, and if, like I said, if he wants to do it, I have no problem believing that he'll be an assistant coach readily <laughs> and, uh, on his way to a head coach very soon. Um, and honestly, I think it's cool. He'll be here and you'll see this around the league. You see recently retired guys come be assistant head coaches or assistant coaches or interns or whatever else you want to call them. And they'll more than just being a coach and being a guy on the bench, there'll be a guy in practice who will go scrimmage. They're not far removed from their playing careers. They can still go out there and, and scrimmage against guys and work with guys one-on-one um, and, and really communicate to them or, you know, like you were talking about the finer points and breaking things down. But even more than that, they, they, they're still competitors. And honestly, some of those guys that, that even though they're older, they're better to, to scrimmage against than, than some of the young guys, because the young guys, they're just relying on athleticism. The older guys, they have more savvy and wit than, than any of the other guys combined. Um, and so, so they can definitely, uh, learn some things and work off of some of those things that I think are good to have, particularly in the beginning of the season when you're trying to get back in the flow of things. Well, it's always great to have Steve Blazer around. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else on, on training camp? I got a few observations about fan fest. Uh, just one quick little thing. Um, I guess, I guess it's a good thing more than anything. And I don't want this to sound negative, but, um, the, the, discussion the talk around zach collins has been mostly positive Mm -hmm. um there hasn't been anything real enlightening or jump off the page great but the fact that we're not talking about how god awful he was and i I don't want that to sound too harsh but he was atrocious in in vegas um so to hear it be that excuse me my voice is completely disappearing to hear that it's gone to the point where hey no he's he looks good He, he he's definitely grown um, he doesn't look lost. Uh, he, he's learning each day. That, those are things you want to hear. I mean, yeah. So those are, those are, those are big times. It's a big time step to go from unplayable at summer league to no, he looks like he, he knows what he's doing out here. So that, that, that to me is that's refreshing to hear. That segues really nicely into what my fan fest observation, because that was one of the things that I noticed. That's one of the things that stood out is that he seemed 10 times more comfortable than he did at summer league. And I don't know if it's just because he's been, you know, banging around bigger guys now all summer and he's more he's not quite as shocked by the contact that he was getting. Um, he seems to really like contact. He likes it when he's got a bunch of guys on him and he doesn't shy away from it at all. Um, and he was uh, not afraid to take on guys that are bulkier than him. There were plenty of times where he was going up against Swanigan with you know, no apparent you know fear or trepidation that um, even though he's taller than Swanigan, Swanigan outweighs him by quite a bit. Um, Swanigan's probably got 40 pounds. It was, it was great to see him. He just, he just looked so much more <laughs> confident out there and uh it was really it was it was definitely uh something that stood out 
another thing that stood out for me was like we talked about earlier, Ed Davis, man. I mean, I know it was a, a fan fest scrimmage, right? So we take this all with a grain of salt. Um, but Ed Davis was everywhere. He was, um, the thing that really struck me about what Ed Davis was is that he dribbled out of the paint like a couple of times. Like I didn't even notice the first couple of times it would just sort of happened in the flow of the game. And then the third time I did it, I was like, wait, that was Ed Davis dribbling the ball out of the paint because he usually catches it under the basket and then waits and finds somebody to pass it out to to take it up the court. And I remember this because I remember a couple of years ago, there was this one great play where he brought it down underneath the basket and Dame was already like running up the court and Ed was looking for him to pass it to. And, and Dame like waved him up like, no, you have to dribble the ball up the court. And you could tell Ed Davis was not comfortable doing that. But last he, night. Kind of like a child just wanted to pout. And like, mm, no, 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 he was that's more like, happening. I don't want like a hot potato. I don't want <laughs> yeah. this. Get it off of me. And so uh, it was great last night to see him. And I don't know if that's just because he's, uh, you know, had a great summer and is, you know, really excited or if that's something like, is this going to be like a new kind of transition that we're going to see that we nobody would have imagined that Ed Davis was going to be starting transition? I don't know. But um, it was great to see Ed Davis because I love me some Ed Davis. And it was really confusing last year. It took me I, I didn't know that he was injured for most. I mean, most of us didn't really know. And it was confusing why he wasn't playing a lot. And he wasn't you know, uh, doing what he had been doing the year before. And it, he just looked great at FanFest. I mean, if we could he take was anything. definitely away. all over. Yeah, no, Ed was all over. And, and there were definitely some things he, were, he was experimenting outside of his normal um, game, I should say. Uh, there were quite a few times where I saw him actually said, like you said, put the ball on the floor and attack the rim. Um, even more than just attacking the rim and, and going at it off of, of, off of more than the uh, dump off or offensive rebound. Um, he was looking to finish with his right hand. Okay. Which is crazy. Oh, that's right. He's left-handed, isn't he? <laughs> he's he's one of the most left-handed. If it if not for Julius Randle, Ed Davis would be the most single-hand dominated player in the league. He, he it's just. But the thing is, he even though you know he's going left and he's going to shoot left, he still does it and scores. So it, it, it's fine. It's kind of like Isaiah Thomas um, coming off pick and rolls. He, he's going to go left. He's going to go left like eighty percent of the time, if not more, and you still can't stop it. So why change it? Um, but adding it to it allows you to get on the other side of the rim, uh, finish on that side, gives you a counter move. If everybody's expecting you to spin and turn and go with a left hand and baby hook, you can spin fake and come back with a right hand. Um, so little things like that are, are awesome to see from guys. Um, the fan fest is always great because you get to see guys. It, it kind of turns it into a little bit of an all-star game and uh, that guys will do things a little bit out of their comfort zone just to kind of see how it flies in, in somewhat live game action um, with, without fear of reprisal from coach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you do that in, in, a, in a real scrimmage in practice, and uh, I don't know about Terry Stotts, but I know there's plenty of people around the league who if Ed Davis decided he wanted to pull up for a corner three, um, <laughs> They'd be it, like, wouldn't, yeah, no. it wouldn't go well. Um, it, you it, stand it would, there with um, your hand up like that for the rest of practice. Yeah, it would be an expletive lace tirade um, that that didn't really go. That wouldn't really flow all that well. So um, something else, something else I enjoyed watching last night was Meyer. I watched Myers and Nurk going at each other, absolutely beating the hell out of each other. That was awesome. It was fan fest, and you could see it. They were, neither one of them was willing to give each other an inch. Myers played Nurkic defensively really well um, in the paint. He, he banged him. He pushed him. He made him come up short on nearly everything. Um, yeah, I was a little nervous. Rebounds. I was like, uh-oh, are they going to like have words? <laughs> they, apparently, that's how it's been in practice. They have just been going – all of the bigs have been going at it. So Swanigan, Dirk, Davis, Leonard, they, they just kind of – I mean, that, I think that's what you want. If you can tag a mentality to a, a front court of and, – and Nurkic said it in his um, – uh, maybe their comments. We want to be the bad boys. I I would love that mentality. I, I, I there are so many things that I would give for that mentality. To, if if teams were legitimately afraid to go inside late in games because that somebody may lay the wood on them, I, I would. 
it it would bring a tear to my eye. <laughs> I definitely thought of you when I heard Nurk say that at media day. I was like, oh, Dan's going to be so happy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was I was thrilled when I heard that. And I'm, I'm sitting there curled up in a ball dying with this cold. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Nurk. And uh, if that translates, awesome. I don't expect it to, but man, that would just be absolutely awesome. Well, it really was. It really was great to see him and Myers going. Myers not backing down. And also, I did see what you know a little bit of what you talked about because the the three still wasn't falling for Myers, but he didn't linger. No, he shot it and either chased the rebound or got back on defense. He didn't drop his head or do anything along the line. Just like every other player, not every shot's going to fall. I mean, it's just this is how it's going to be. And if step into the shot, take it confidently. If it goes, it goes. If it doesn't, keep going. He did. My- Myers did have one nice, you know, real nice roll to the hoop. And I just, why doesn't he do that more often? That's something he said he's going to do. Okay. So that, is that's, it because, is it, but is it because the schemes have been put in place I, for him to shoot? I think part of it is, um, Stotts just wanting to limit what Myers does. I think part of it is Myers's confidence or was Myers's confidence because early on in Myers career, Myers dunked quite a bit. Like I mean, rolling to the rim and dunking. That's like that. Remember he didn't shoot his first year. Shooting was not a thing. <laughs> so his, his, his shot was a dunk. <laughs> so, I mean, rolling to the rim and being big and dunking on people was kind of what he did. Even if he did flex on point guards. Um, <laughs> well, I just wonder so, like, you know, why did they, why did they put him out in no man's land on, on three point? You know, on the three point, because I guess he had towards the end of that one season, again, th- that one series against Memphis, he started to show that he could do it. So they were like, well, oh, let's get, all figured, let's this. get something out of him. Well, let, let's get something out of him. Because if he's not going to roll the rim hard, it's not going to do us. Because when you roll the rim as a big, you have to go hard. Because even if you don't get the ball, you're not, if you're just kind of trotting to the rim, they can see that eh, it's, we don't have to pay you any mind. But if you're just standing out at the three-point line and you're known to be a three-point shooter, they have to pay you mind, even if you're not doing anything. So the the value gained from that versus a value that's literally nothing because rolling to the rim, they're not getting him the ball or not even thinking about getting him the ball. So why might as well just pick and pop every time. So put so him it, out there on the three-point line, takes somebody and makes them have the to rim. go out yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, and it opens up driving lanes through Dame, CJ, Turner, whoever it is. Um, and that is better than a, a you know a zero value. So you're you're getting something out of it no matter what. Um, but yeah, I I think that he did he you know blow me away. No, but I I wasn't there. I don't. There wasn't a point in time when I went back and watched the 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 fan fest. And this is kind of can't believe I'm saying this. Well, I actually, when you were rewatching and, fan fest, when I was rewatching fan fest video, um, that there wasn't a single time in there where I was like, come on, Myers. It was just basketball. He, he, he missed some shots, but he made some plays. He battled Nurkic for every rebound. He battled him for post position. He played good defense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- that was great. Beyond that, nobody else really stood out as far as, you know, crazy good, crazy bad as, as far as um, what I saw from them. Um, oh, my God. CJ's shot. I, I just. It looks it looks quicker. He's, I'll, I'll say that. Do you think he's going to be the leading scorer? Not as long year? as Dame's here. You think so? I don't know. Dame has the ball too much. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I think CJ is. I think he could challenge for being the scoring leader on the team this year. Well, well, CJ is the better pure shooter. He just doesn't get as many shots. Is that what you're saying? Not even that. I think it's more of a mentality. And I I hate comparing players. But if you're going to ask me to compare Dame to a, a superstar type, Dame is more Kobe. And I, I know that's that's heresy to commit, you know, a blazer to a, a Laker, but Dame especially going, that one. Come on, Dan. <laughs> Kobe's mentality was always always attack. Dame's mentality is always attack. When he's engaged and, and out there, he's he can set the table. There, there's no doubt about it. But CJ. I don't know how I got to put this. CJ, CJ doesn't float around, but he's not in full fledged attack mode all the time. If that makes any kind of sense. let's just put it this way. Dame is more like Russell Westbrook in the sense that he's, he's going to go downhill and downhill could be at the rim or downhill could be right at you and pull up the three point line. 
CJ's more like Kevin Durant, where he's just kind of kind of float, pick his spots, and then you look at the scoreboard and he's got 28. And you're like, how did that happen? That those there's they're two different player types. Well, they're both phenomenal players. Dames is just a, it'll be a 25 point outburst in a quarter where you're like, okay, he just took over the game and they just won. CJ's is like death by a thousand paper cuts. And those paper cuts are all mid-range jumpers and floaters. And then you look up at the scoreboard at the end of the game and you see he's 11 for 16 for 27 points. And you're like, okay, he just balled out again and it didn't even feel like he did it. I think Dame's going to do whatever it takes to score. And if that means given to CJ, then CJ's going to get it. And I think there's going to be nights where it's, it's going to go to CJ. I'm looking at last year's um, uh, field goal attempts. Damian had 19.8 per game and CJ had 18. So Dame had almost two more attempts per game. Plus the free throws. Plus free throws. Um, yeah, Dame had 7.3 and CJ only had 3.7. Yeah, so uh, the, you remember those, those free throws or shot attempts uh-huh. more often than not. So Dame's getting anywhere from probably six to seven more shots a game. Cause those, those, those free throws don't go down as shots taken. I still would not be surprised if CJ won the, uh, for the team, the, uh, most points per game. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities. But well, thank it, you. I will take that as not a completely outrageous idea. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's really not. I just That's don't think with the way. Dan. I'm very excited about that. I just don't think with the way that this team is and the way Lillard is kind of wired or appears to be wired, um, that that will be a thing with them here. I, I, I think that the and th- there may be times where CJ completely balls out and maybe he takes over for a month. But I think at the end of the season, I think it'll still be Dame. But that'd be a really interesting storyline. We shall see. Dame is Dame is the alpha. Dame is the the unquestioned leader. Uh, has been the the points per game leader, you know, since everybody left. Um, if CJ did take that mantle, what would that mean as far as you know how the franchise and how the fan base and how the NBA views CJ, and vice versa for Dame? It'd be Dame. great for That's- CJ, but I really don't think that Dame it's going to affect Dame because Dame just wants to win the games and he wants to win it with his guys. So I think that's what makes the, uh, that's what means the most to him. But Hey, before we move on, let's, let's move this on and start talking about things to watch for in the preseason. But I wanted to make one more observation about uh, fan fest and I will keep it really quick before the game started. They have this thing out on the concourse where they let the audience ask uh, players whatever questions they want. And so it was Nurkic and Vonley and Shabazz and, uh, uh, the audience was asking him things like, where's your favorite place to eat? And, um, you know, how do you feel? What was the first thing you bought when you got paid and things like that? Um, but the thing that stood out to me is that Nurkic in person has a lot more charisma than I thought. Like he's got, oh, a he's, he's a character. I didn't he's understand until I'd seen him in person. Um, and so I can imagine like on the floor, it's even more magnified. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, he, he's like an anti-hero. Like he, he, he just kind of gives off that, that good bad guy vibe. He has that little bit of nastiness in him, but he also has this, this charisma and this, this, this character that I, I think part of it was, is how he embraced the whole Nurk fever thing. Like he's not just cheesy about it. Like he's, he always has, has kind of has this wry evil smile about everything. And there's always this, you can hear the, the, the backhanded compliments that he hands out to his teammates and how he just constantly screws with people. No, I, I think it's fantastic because I think you need characters. I, I think you need that kind of personality to, to really be what you need to be and to be a top flight player in this league. And there, there are very, very, very few players in the, in the league that are top tier what they do that don't have some sort of persona or character that they embrace. I think Durant's probably the only one. And the fact that he's boring is probably the, the only is that's probably his character. You yeah. Know? <laughs> that's his character. <laughs> I mean, let, let me, let me be the boring guy that's, 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 you know, signed up on some forum board posting comments about how, how great I am. You know, it's, it's, Anyway, it, it, it struck me that Nurkic had and, and not I don't mean so much character as like he's an interesting person and has funny things to say. But I, I was thinking about it in terms of he had more um, gravitas than I thought that oh, he no. did. When he comes in a room, you know it. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you can just feel it. And it's not because his size. It's just everything about the, him. It, it, it's 
it's he, he, he's like a son you know everything just kind of rotates around him when he comes in the room it's, it's it's a pretty cool feeling yeah it was pretty cool to see in person i had not i did not expect that but let's move on to um the preseason games because we actually have a game at the moda center tomorrow night i'm so excited are you going on to the first opening preseason <sighs> game i want to go but this cold is just literally ruining me um I, i've left the house a grand total of two times in the past week plus so um this, well, this is the best go. i felt. I will take one for the team and tell you <laughs> tell you how it goes i i will be watching one way or the other yeah. so thankfully well, this game is televised so what uh, are you going to watch for this preseason what are some of the things that you think that they might work on and spend time on i don't think there's going to be a lot of changes that are wholesale type changes but the one that everybody keeps talking about is getting nurkic the ball in the post Anybody who knows me, anybody who's talked to me about Nurkic knows that I love his footwork. Love the hashtag feet work. He's got ballerina toes. But, and while everything in, in... Do you mean his footwork when he's backing somebody down yes, on his, the post? His, okay. His, his footwork on it, facing up in the post with his back to the basket, everything about it. There are very, very few people in the league who at that size move as swiftly and gracefully as he does. It, it, everything looks effortless and he's I don't know how a man that big is on his toes and able to move so sveltly <laughs> nobody does it like Boris Diaw I it, so it, miss that's, that's, that's another one a, a I guy miss who's the Boris Diaw NBA who just makes it look so effortless and it's just a natural talent um but as much as as much as Nurkic has quote-unquote touch um, he does struggle to finish around the rim from time to time. And that actually shows up in his post-ups. If you look at his career since 2014 and 2015, he's had 324 possessions where it was defined as a post-up. He scored 242 points. That's 0.75 points per possession in the post-up. That's, that's not that does good. not seem great that close to the basket. No, no that, that's not good at all. His, his field goal percentage um, is, is hovering at, you know, 40%. And post-ups. Wow. 40%. Do you happen to know what league average yep. is? Uh, if you're looking at post-ups in general, you're usually looking around 52 to 55%, um, depending on the, the year and the cycle. Okay. Uh, I'd have to go back and, and uh, adjust for it as far as. So why do you think that is with um, I don't know because everything looks nice. The footwork is incredible. He gets in position. One thing that I have noticed with, and he did this against Myers uh, yesterday. Um, he fades when he doesn't need to fade. Okay. He gets, he gets to a spot. Like if he's rolling, let's say he's on the right block and he catches and he dips his left shoulder into the middle of the paint and goes to that little right-handed baby hook that he has where he elevates straight up and kind of floats. I've seen him do that. And he'll, as he dips his left shoulder and gets position and seals off the defender or creates enough space, he'll, dip his right shoulder away from the rim, kind of lean back and fall away and then elevate up. Then he'll, he'll, he'll throw it long or he'll throw it short. Um, instead of just getting, and this is something that LaMarcus did fantastic. When remember when he developed that, that kind of spin drops that move to the middle and it, everything would look right. And then sometimes he would do it and he'd fall away when he didn't need to fall away. And you're like, just, just go through the contact and finish. More often than not, if nothing else, you're going to draw free throws. So uh, hopefully something develops there where he just kind of powers through or he develops a counter move that basically doesn't require him to or doesn't where he doesn't need to fade where he's he's going to the rim. Do you think it could at all have to do with who else is on the floor with him? No, I, I think it's more about him just being decisive in his moves and, and just there are. Being if you're economical in a post, with his movement. Yeah, exactly. If you're in a post-up opportunity and you make the move to go to the rim and you get there, let's say you, like I said, we'll take You this. don't need to fade back if there's no reason to. Exactly. And if, if, if you're fading back because they're pressuring you, stay up into the shot. Make, make them foul you. Because if, if, if you're committed that far to the shot already, kicking it out while you're fading away isn't going to do you any good. Because more often than not, you're going to make a bad pass. You're, you're making a contested jump pass in traffic in the middle of the paint where somebody's probably looking around a double to see if you're going to drop the ball down or try to kick it back out. So it, it, at that point in time, once you've committed to that, and the post-up is, is more unique than I think than any other play in basketball because of 
inherently what where you're at on the court and what you're doing with the ball. Um, you're, you're already committed to the motion. You, you need to go through it and go strong. So that's to me the, the big thing I, I'm, I'm hoping to see from him. If he can get beyond that and elevate his field goal percentage and get to the free throw line out of it, that's a big thing. Is because if you can, if he can put pressure on opposing bigs just by getting fouls, that's huge because then that screws up lineups. Let's say a team wants to try to play small ball. Let's take the Warriors, for example, and they want to throw Draymond Green on Nurkic and they want to play small. Well, if you consistently feed Nurkic early or whenever Draymond's on him, and Nurkic puts him in foul trouble. Now who are they going to have guarding? Are they going to put Durant on him? No, that, that's, that's not, that's not going to work out well for them on that end of the floor. The other end of the floor, it's definitely going to. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's there's a lot of things that can come out of this. But I, I think people need to be aware of where is as good as Nurkic has been. And I'm, I'm a Nurkic fanboy. I, I love what he's been able to do and what he's shown so far. Um, there are definitely areas of improvement. Um, and the post-up game, while feeding him the ball and and kind of reverting back to a little bit to what the Blazers did when they had LaMarcus, I think is a good thing because it diversifies the offense. Um, there, People may want to hesitate a little bit before saying, oh, we've got Nurkic, he can just go ahead and go and score in the paint. Well, his, his numbers there haven't been exactly spectacular so far in his career. Can you elaborate a little bit more about when you said, you know, go back to what it was like when we had LaMarcus? Um, can you give a few specifics about what you mean about that? Like yeah, I mean, to the rest of the offense. Yeah, when you're when you're feeding Lamarcus, it's going to draw defenders. Or when you're feeding Nurkic if, if it becomes the same kind of threat. If he's going to work in the block, and it becomes clear that that that's a, a choice that you know is going to reward the Blazers, um, defenses are going to have to sag down. They're going to have to cheat, which means the guy in the corner is going to be a little bit more open. The guy in the wing is going to be a little more open. The the backside guy could end up becoming open if the double comes from that side. Um, it just changes how defenses have to have to play a team. And while the post up may have may be dead as far as analytics are concerned, it's entirely different if you're using it as a counter to what a defense wants to do. Um, if they're if they're constantly trapping or or pushing Damian Lillard off screens uh, and denying the pick and roll play. Well, you go to the post up, and now the, if the double comes, there's you know 12 to 15 feet for somebody to recover. N- now Dame's got Dame's catching the ball, you know, going downhill. And, and, that, and that's steam. exactly, and that's an issue for opposing defenses. Um, if not, Nurkic stays single covered, and there aren't many guys in the league I, I think that can handle Nurkic um, in single coverage just on his physicality alone. Now. Uh, whether or not that turns out to be a successful play based on a, a point per possession basis is still to be determined. But um, just as far as a physical mismatch, uh, that, that's going to be there on most nights. Okay. I is, When somebody, if, if Nurkic is starting with the ball and he's in the paint and he's holding it for a minute and a play doesn't develop and he kicks it back out, is there generally enough time for another play which, with a cutter? Is there enough time for that, or is is it like either you it run depends. a play with a cutter, or you run a play that starts with Nurkic, or like if he doesn't do it by a certain amount of time, then you have to go with another one? I mean, how much thought goes into these things, or once they get out there, are they just playing? No, it it all depends on the pace of the game, the pace of the possession. Okay. Um, so if if you're getting down the floor quick, um, and there's 19 seconds on the clock, and the ball's already gone into Nurkic, and he's taken six seconds. Um, whether he's already faced up and looked to attack and the double came and he forced and kicked it back out. Yeah. You can reset and run the play. I mean, you're, you're, you're down to 13, 14 seconds on the clock. And then so Jake you, Lehman comes in with both hands for the <laughs> slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, you, you can definitely kick it back out and while the defense is, re- is recovering, you can look for the, the backside cutter from the, from the player that rotated or from where the rotation is coming from on the third man. Um, and I think that's a, a good way to go about it. Uh, and when you're when you're catching a team trying to recover at any point in time, that's that's the time really that you want to attack. Somebody gets off, you know, flat footed or they get caught ball watching or, or on the reset. Somebody cuts back door. I mean, there's there's a million things that happen in those instances. And that's why I think having an opportunity to, to post up um, Nurkic, especially in deep post position, that's that's a good thing. And, and if if Nurkic can be a weapon that's, you know, closer to a point of possession, 
then uh, then things would be definitely going a lot better. It would be interesting to isolate how many of them he had and what their success rate was once we got to the Blazers uh, versus when he was with Denver, just to see if I there actually, was any. I actually have that. Do you have I, that? And you don't see any visible or nothing really was, stands out in difference? He was better here in Portland. Um, he had 76 possessions and 69 points. In oh, Portland. that's much. That's a much yes. better uh, so, percentage. Um, or yeah, much he, better points per possession. Yeah, he was at 0.9. Oh yeah, that's that that seems like a much better thing. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, but I don't want to. We we've talked about this for a while. I got another thing about um, another question about preseason to ask you, um, and this is something that's been in the back of my mind for a while. Um, the last two years, the Trailblazers have been amongst the teams that fouled the most, like number t- number four or number five in the league in the amount of amount of fouls that they have committed. Previous to that. They were very low in the amount of fouls that they committed. And then the last two years, they're fouling like crazy. Is this something that I should we should be worried about, especially with uh, a couple of rookies coming in? And rookies tend to be prone to fouling, especially rookie big men. Uh, we had Damian Lillard saying in the uh, training or in media day, they were saying, we heard Myers looks really good. And Damian laughed and said, yeah, Myers would have fouled out of our um, – of our pickup games Myers said that he might have been exaggerating a little bit but like there's a lot of fouling going on with the Portland Trailblazers is this something that you think that they should work on or do you think it's just part of how they play the game um there's a couple things at play here one the Blazers play crap perimeter defense and the Blazers are constantly having to bail each other out of the rim so that's where a lot of fouls come from okay Guys recovering, yeah, guys recovering, trying to make up for a, a bad play on the perimeter. That's just been an Achilles heel for Portland since Wes and, and Nick left. That's that's just the way it is. Um, the other part of it is guys are young, inexperienced, and out of position. Um, so just naturally that happens. Um, young guys, they reach. They extend their arms when they go to block shots. I mean, look at every every young big man in the league. They drop their arms when they go to challenge a shot. It takes a couple of years for them to figure it out. It's very, very few bigs come into the league understanding verticality. Um, so look at Portland's history over the last couple of years. Um, nobody had really knew how to defend the perimeter, so that's an issue. Uh, a lot of young bigs, that's an issue. Um, a scheme that's really kind of not really aggressive, but – um, doesn't really put a whole lot of pressure on you would think would limit fouls. But if you're not on a chain or you're not getting after it or not communicating well enough, then you're again, you're in a bad position. If you're not, if you don't have a, a host of guys who were defensive specialists who understand how to force guys and funnel guys away without using your hands a ton or without getting caught, um, then that's another issue. So, I mean, you look at the negatives as far as our pilot for Portland, as far as how, how they, how much they foul, it really makes a lot of sense. Now, if they wanted to transition that into, Hey, we're going to foul a ton anyway. So might as well be, you know, about it. Great. Uh, I think they, they, Stotts is, as coach Stotts has said that, um, they, they want to get the cut down on the fouling. Well, no kidding. That's <laughs> just, that's been an issue, but that hasn't really occurred. So if that's not going to happen, if you're going to foul, why not be the team that fouls? Like, I mean, and by that, I mean, lay, lay the wood on them from time to time. Send a message with your fouls. If you're going to foul, make sure guys aren't getting in once out of it. I mean, I, I, I feel like this, the if you're going to foul, stop the scoring. Is that, yeah, that's I what mean, you're saying? Right. Exactly. I feel like this team more often than not, when they foul at the rim, it's, it's, it's this soft little foul that allows for in, in another and one. It feels like this team allows more and ones than anybody. Um, I don't know if it's true or not. It's just what it felt like for the last couple of years. Um, and there's there's been a, a mentality, at least as far as from perceived from the outside. I don't think anybody's ever called this Portland team physical or tough. When you when you hear coaches talk about a team um, going, you know, the pregame conferences that they have on the, the local media channels, is anybody have you ever seen a, 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 an opposing coach talk about the Portland Trailblazers as tough or physical or imposing? Not that I can recall recently. No, and, and and how many teams that foul a lot typically get that moniker? A lot of them do. So for Portland to be a team that fouls a ton and not be associated with being a physical team, that's kind of weird, right? I don't know. It's one of those things that I just I I I wonder now that you now that you say it, like they don't really have. I mean, 
we now have veterans on the team, right? We have Damien and CJ. They've been, we, you can't say that they're not veterans, right? Um, yeah, the, the, you can safely call, call David I guess I guess Aminu is probably our, mo- our most experienced defensively veteran. And, and Ed, yep. And oh, and Ed too. Okay, yeah. So, like, what what is it that you see that they do that? Uh, you know, some guys like Mo Harkless uh, could learn from them because Mo Harkless fouls. Uh, he was up there in the team yeah, in no, terms he, of who he, he fouls the most. Um, I think it's about not getting caught, <laughs> really, more than anything. Okay. Uh, Aminu is very Timing. sneaky. Yeah, yeah, Aminu is very sneaky. You have to earn that reputation. Um. There are a lot of things that these guys can do to, to get better in that arena. And I think that a good way to, to look at it, at least in this instance, is if the Blazers are to become a team because that's a physical team, I, I think that can I, it kind of reciprocates here in that if they're a physical team and teams all of a sudden realize, you know what, late in the game, I really don't want to go in there or middle of the game, I really don't want to go in there, that, that in itself drops their fouls down. Right. Okay. Because say, guys, do, have you seen so, Myers Leonard's shoulders? I don't want to go up against that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen Myers spike guys down to the floor before, and I, I stand up whether I'm at the arena or in my house. I stand up and clap. Like so, from time to time, you just need to do that just to send a like. Uh, I know the old cliche of sending a message, but guess what, folks? It sends a message because if you're six foot tall and 195 pounds, you do not want to get clapped in the face again by the seven foot 270 pound dude. That that gets tiresome over 48 minutes. It's just, it's not a fun experience and people can say, Oh yeah, I don't let that bother me. Really? I just saw you hesitate and jab step 13 times at the top of the three point line because you didn't want to go inside because you just got the crap knocked out of you five minutes ago. Well, I'm anxious to see during the preseason, if we start seeing that right away, if we start seeing them uh, fouling with authority, if they're going to foul, you know, make it, like you said, make it count or if they're going to uh, come out with the same, attitude of trying not to foul in the first place um that they um that has i mean it's not like they haven't been trying to foul but like you said they are they're committing fouls rather than committing fouls you know what i mean like it's like yeah a, a foul is a call that got called against them rather than no i'm gonna go in and foul on this one because i need to stop this and i need to make make sure that this doesn't happen uh, i'm and i think do you think that that will show up in the preseason? Um, will that be soon enough to tell whether or not they've really uh, embraced and taken on this new attitude? Do you think we'll be able to see it as soon as preseason? Um, I don't know if that's or it might necessarily... be hold off until the season starts before we get too crazy in there. With yeah, I, I I think that's going to be more likely the case. Um, but I'm not going to be mad if all of a sudden they start you know, doing something there. Yeah. Like okay. If it shows up there, that's, I, I'll be all about that. Well, this is one of the, the conver- one of the conversations we'll probably have a couple of times. Cause I'm really curious to see how it unfolds. Um, but we've got, uh, we, like I've said, we've, we have upcoming games <laughs> to talk. <Yay! laughs> so we've got the Suns on the third at the motor center, the Raptors on the fifth at the motor center, and then the Clippers on the road. Anything stand out to you about any of those games? Um, guard play. Okay. A lot of fast guards. Yeah. A lot of fast, irritating and the the Clippers. I get, oh, oh, that's true. Beverly and Rivers now. Yep. You've you've got, I mean, so you've got some, some irritating, um, guys to play against the, the entire time. Um, we'll see, we'll see the evolution of Devin Booker. Uh, we'll see the, you know, the young rookie in, in Josh Jackson and how he plays. Um, there, there's going to be some intriguing mashups. Um, I'm interested in that Biggs matchup with the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let, let's see how um, – who who Portland – here's the other thing. Who's Portland going to start at the power forward position? Is Terry Stotts going to take his tried and true uh, practice from the past and start somebody new every game? You know, all right, here's your turn to start and the other guy at the second half. I mean, this is something I feel like Terry Stotts has done since LaMarcus has left. <laughs> it's like – yeah. You know, they just kind of roll. All right, your turn. All right, your turn. And now it's your turn. And we'll, we'll kind of like let it find out through through the the uh, the game time and how that all kind of spins out. So um, that to me is probably the biggest storyline. I'm hoping it's it's Swan again. I'll, I'll be completely honest. Really, I ho- you I, I you're hope- hoping it's Swan again? Okay. Yeah, 
I hope it's Swanigan. I think I think Swanigan, while he'll be behind the eight ball as a rookie, I think the more that he's out there, the better it is for Portland. Because I don't think they're going to bring back Von Ley. Um, I, I don't know if it makes sense to have Aminu and Harkless out there for long periods of time together. Um, Just because of the lack of offense. Yeah, and I think Swanigan gives you if even if he doesn't demonstrate it right away. I think the, the the mere threat of having him out there is more than what anybody else could pull off for Portland right now in that position. Here's what I think. I think that it would be I I could see Terry Stotts go, doing what he similar to what he did with Noah Vonley and accelerating the process of Swanigan's development by putting him out there with starters to try to get him up to speed as fast as possible. But I think it's going to be Ed Davis. I think it's, I think Ed Davis is going to bring so much energy. And I think this is Ed Davis's year. He's in a contract year and he did not have a good year last year. I think he's got a ton to prove. And so I think he's going to ultimately win that starting uh, power forward spot when the season starts. I don't know about off season. So I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see Swanigan in there, but I think it's ultimately going to be Ed Davis, and he because he's going to give them such a lift right from the get go. You're you're probably right, just because of how this this team is built or structured. Because as far as as trust is concerned, um, I don't know. This is the thing that I think that Stotts has to make a decision on. Does is he more about going with a player that he trusts in Ed Davis? Or are they looking more at what potential and fit could be? Because Ed Davis alongside Nurkic for long stretches doesn't look great on paper. Now that could, that could be so it could end up being something totally different because we didn't really see it much last year. Right. We had limited sample size last year for sure. Uh, um, but on paper and in my head, it doesn't make a ton of sense. But if, if Terry Stotts is favoring trust uh, and familiarity, then Obviously, Davis is, is an amicable choice. Well, and the exciting thing is that on Tuesday, October 3rd, we get to see it all start to play Yay. out. <laughs> I think we better wrap it up here, Dan, and uh, thank our listeners for tuning in. You want to tell folks where to find you on social media? Yep. As always, you can find me on Twitter at DMRing. DMs are open. Uh, feel free to drop us questions you have of me or you want us to discuss on the podcast. More than willing to talk about them. You know, any user solicited questions at any point in time. And remember that you can find this podcast on almightyballer.com or on Stitcher or iTunes, or you can find it on the home planet, blazersedge.com, where you'll get news, analysis, game previews, recaps. Yay, I'm so excited to say that. And anything else that you could possibly want to know about the Portland Recaps are back. <laughs> recaps, game previews, so excited. Hey, everyone, thanks for being with us today, and we will catch you after the Blazers have played some preseason basketball. Let's go, Rip City. Rip City.